back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're getting back on track. I've been thrown off by the snow and enjoying it and staying home and all those kinds of things. And so stuff has been being posted later, but I'm getting it back on track. I'm recording early again so things can post bright and early for the early birds that get up and start their day before the sun. So with that said, again, I want to remind you there's a giveaway going on in celebration of our upcoming 100th episode. If you're interested in winning a copy of the New Bible Commentary, then you can go to our Facebook page or our Twitter feed and you can find a link there. There'll be a picture of the giveaway. You click on that, you can enter your email address or you can share it, uh, which would help also get the word out about the podcast. You can share it on your feed and that automatically enters you to win this commentary. The New Bible Commentary is an incredible resource that IVP, InterVarsity Press, puts out. It's, in my opinion, hands down the best single volume commentary on the entire Bible. It's a collection of commentaries on every book of the Bible, plus some kind of helpful introductory uh, type articles from top Bible-believing scholars all over the world. Guys like D.A. Carson, R.T. France, Gordon Winham, Doug Moo. I mean, just the commentaries you want on the books of the Bible. Uh, it's absolutely an incredible resource. It's succinct. It's easy to understand. It's worth trying to get your hands on it. IVP also puts out uh, all kinds of incredible resources that, that I use on a regular basis. And I'm pushing this because they were willing, they were gracious enough to provide for free this copy of a New Bible Commentary for us to give away. And they do have a treasure trove of great resources. So if you're looking for good things on biblical study, they're a good source for that. Now to the book of Jonah. We're up to chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 today. So let me pray for us, and then we will look at what we find. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you once again for this incredible story that pictures for us your unbelievably relentless grace. We ask that you would teach us to rest in that, to see you as you are, a God who desires his people from all over the world, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, that they might come together in Christ and worship you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. This is what we read. We're going to look at Jonah chapters 3, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So there's Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And today we're going to focus just on the very first two verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, if you're paying attention, you realize that, okay, the story is starting over, basically. We're right back to the same place that we were in Jonah chapter 1. God is calling to Jonah, telling him to arise and go to Nineveh. And it's not just starting over kind of thematically, but even from a lexical standpoint, from what it is that is said here, 
the story is starting over. If you look back at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, you see that it's essentially the very same. The only difference is the, the distinction son of Amittai, defining who Jonah is in 1.1, is replaced in 3.1 with the second time, reminding us that things are happening again. The same thing is being repeated. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying this. And then if you look at 3.2 and 1.2 and you compare them, you see the same thing. God gives the exact same message. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And then that last clause in, in 1.2, one, in one for their evil has come up before me, is replaced in 3.2 with the message that I tell you. So the story really is starting over. Jonah is being called again. He's being given a second chance, if you want to look at it that way. He, he's being given a second call. There's different ways we can process this. But the point that we need to see here is that despite Jonah's antics, despite him trying to run, despite his not wanting to go to Nineveh, despite him not wanting, as we're going to see as this story continues to unfold, not wanting the Ninevites to receive mercy from God, despite all of that that we find in Jonah, God's purposes for the redemption of the Ninevites has not changed. It's still the same. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out to it, or call out against it. We've got the same translation questions there. And here, this time, God gives this statement, the message that I tell you. He's got a specific message for the Ninevites that he wants Jonah to give. It may be that this is added here because Jonah didn't even go the last time, so maybe God is adding more specificity to the call. We don't know what the story is exactly. But we see that God's purposes for the redemption of the Ninevites has not changed. That, that's what's going on in this passage. This is a passage, it's a story of God's relentless grace. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can apply this. Some want to apply this and say, see, Jonah gets a second chance. When we mess up, God is gracious to us and, and, and he gives us these second chances and, and everything is great. And so even if you're you know, a minister and you mess up, and in one sense, we can affirm that. But on the other hand, we see throughout Scripture that those who are called as his ministers, we see this in the qualifications for elders and Timothy and Titus, we see this in how he deals with the Levites throughout the Old Testament, that there is this higher calling, that there is this higher standard to which they are called. And so we can't read this and say, okay, Jonah got a... Jonah, rebelled openly against God and got a second chance so we can do that too. That, that would be a little bit of a misapplication of what's going on here. God certainly can, as he does here, give that second chance if that is his desire. But that's not necessarily what he always does. When we let scripture interpret scripture, we remember Aaron's sons who decided to take matters into their own hands and minister their way and they were immediately burned up. We see God sideline his prophets when they won't listen to him, when they won't do what he says. We see Judas was let go all the way to death, though he was with the 12. 
So we can't say, oh, okay, well, when a minister screws up, they automatically get a second chance. We can't make this story here the typical situation. There are times where God holds ministers accountable in a way that they're no longer ministers anymore, and there are times, certainly, that we as the church should do that as well. We can't make this one peculiar case the rule. The relentless grace of God that we see here is his relentless grace towards the Ninevites. You see, what we see happening here is not God not letting the, the failures of his minister or his prophet keep his prophet from being a prophet. There are times where God sidelines him. As we said, what we see here is, is that God will not let the failures of his messengers derail his gracious intentions for the world. That's the real relentless grace that we see here. God intended for his message of repentance and redemption to go to the Ninevites. And Jonah's rebellion was not going to stop that. That's really the picture that we see here. That's where we see God's mission playing out here, his desire for the nations. So there's some particular applications that we can make from this. One, we can rest knowing that God is sovereign over the means as well as the ends. If God desires the redemption of some, he will have the redemption of those people. And so here's a particular application for how we talk about evangelism. We don't get to strong arm people as some organizations and some churches and some ministers do. We don't get to strong arm people with this idea that if you don't go, if you don't share the gospel with that person that God put in your path, then maybe no one will, and maybe they will be lost. Now, admittedly, that's a very dramatic and very incredible you know, way to motivate people in the gospel, and, but it's also incredibly manipulative and, and incredibly unfaithful to Scripture. God's purposes for the world his intentions to show grace to the nations will not be derailed by the disobedience of his people. He is sovereign. He's bigger than that. And we need to worship him and recognize him as such. Now, that doesn't mean we get lazy with evangelism. We don't talk to people. But it does mean we don't have to live with the fear that someone else's soul depends on me getting it right. Because when we start to live with that fear, we find that we're unable to actually faithfully, genuinely love those people to whom God has sent us. But when we recognize that they are in God's hands and that his intentions for grace toward them won't be derailed by me or you, we have the freedom to love them and so genuinely lay out the hope of the gospel for them. See, God's relentless grace should encourage us. It should give us rest as we get to participate in his pursuit of his people. Might we learn to do that together? Amen. Amen.